Today's scripture reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in this field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The word of the Lord. Please be saved. Good morning. I'm Pastor Tim. If we haven't met, welcome to Alleluia. A special welcome to guests. And a special thank you this morning to our uh, worship team. Our uh, director of worship and music, Jeffrey uh, Jensen, is out of state with his uh, wife. They're uh, uh, on vacation this weekend. So we want to give thanks and praise to our, our volunteers for leading worship today. Thank you. Uh, we're in a sermon series called, uh, what is it called? It's called Let Me Tell You a Story. I knew that. And uh, we just heard the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But first, who knows what this is? What is that? The top, but from what? Inception. The movie. Who's seen the movie Inception? All right. 2010 movie. A movie that deals back and forth between being in reality and being in dreams. And then dreams within dreams. And then are we back in reality or are we in the dream? And what are we watching and where are the characters? Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, the main character, his name is Dom Cobb. If you're going to have a movie name, that's a pretty cool name, Dom Cobb. Or as Chicagoans would say, Dom Cobb, Dom Cobb. But anyway, Dom Cobb is uh, spinning the top at the end of the movie. And he looks at his two little kids. And this is spoiler alert. But you've had eight years. You've had eight years. Plus, I can't spoil it because you're going to find out why in a second. He looks at his kids. He, then the, it pans to the, to the top spinning on the table. Now, during the movie, when the top keeps spinning, he knows he's in a dream. When the top falls over, he knows he's in reality. That's why he carries it around. So it pans to the spinning top. It wobbles just for a sec. And then keep spinning, and then it goes dark. End of the movie. See, I couldn't spoil it because we don't know where we don't know, right? Someone explain it to me. If you have a theory about this, there are blog sites, there are websites, there are people who have have debated over the last eight years. What is is he in the dream? Is he in a dream of a dream, or did he finally make it back to reality? Tell me your theory after the service. But someone. Please explain it to me. When I was a little kid, I also pondered the story of the Jetsons. 
Meet George Jetson, his boy. Daughter, who's his wife? His rock Rastro. It bugged me as a kid, and maybe I just thought weird thoughts as a kid, but it bugged me that all the buildings were up on these skinny poles. Where do the poles go? What are they? I'm assuming it's the planet. I'm assuming it's Earth. They're in orbit city, but they're on poles, so they're not orbiting. They're on a pole, so I didn't get that. I, an architect's in the house. Can you explain to me after the service how they, that pole supported all that weight? It drove me nuts. I couldn't figure it out. It was very confusing for me. Now, all kidding aside, we want stories explained. The reason that Inception was so effective as a movie is it wasn't explained. And people want explanations. And at the deeper level in our lives, we want an explanation for life. One of the deepest questions of life is, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Part of our spiritual journey is to figure that question out. One of the reasons we have the Alpha Course here is to ask the question, what is the meaning of life? The Bible's claim is that there's a God who loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much, he would send his own son into the world to pay the price for your sins that you could never pay. There is a deep meaning to life. How many of you like the one-hit wonder? There was a group in the late 90s, I think 1997, a song came out called Bittersweet Symphony by these guys. Good-looking guys, The Verve. How many of you guys have The Verve playing? Well, The Verve, yeah, it's a great song. It was a one-hit wonder. They had a couple other ones, but this was the main one. This was a great song, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might still know the song, and I'll do my best. It has a string intro, and it goes... And then the drums come in, and, and then he starts singing. So, anyway, so he starts singing, and here's the lyrics. Because it's a bittersweet symphony, this life. Try to make ends meet, you're a slave to money, then you die. Is that really the story? Is that the, is that the explanation? Is that really what we're doing? And here's, all kidding aside, here's the so deep, saddening reality. This is what people think who are outside of faith. This is what people think. This is life. This is it. You get born, you're whatever, and that's it. That's it. The Bible says, no, that's not it. The Bible is full of stories of grace. We've been talking about stories of grace um, all year, and uh, you have the banner there to your left. We have it up on the screen. This whole pr program year from September through August has been about the Bible being full of stories of grace. We were trying to go deeper into the Word. Part of the reason we're in a series about the parables is we want to go deeper into these parables. What do they mean? Someone explain it to me. Tell me what it means, and then what does it mean for my life? God's stories of grace, grace being defined as getting that from God which we do not deserve, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, 
his promise of eternal life, all packaged in grace. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. Not one person here is righteous enough to get the grace of God, but God, out of his love for his creation and you being his most precious part of creation, he wants to impart that gift of grace to you. And the Bible's full of these stories of grace. And this parable today might just be one of those. Back to Matthew 13. Hope you have a Bible. We're going to jump in here. If you want to get up and grab one, they're in the back, the brown worship Bibles. If not, um, you can, uh, I have a great phone app uh, that I use a lot, so you can use that. <laughs> the parable of the weeds. Jesus, and we heard it read, but we'll go back over it. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, so we know this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The, the first hearers would know what Jesus is talking about. It was a farming community. And so a, sower would have, a farmer would have a big, big cloth sack around his shoulder, like, a, like an old mailman bag, and, and it, had, had, it was full of seeds in a pouch, and he'd reach in across his waist, and he'd grab a handful of seed and go like this. It's a precursor to our uh, Scotsman fertilizer uh, spreaders. That's what he was doing. He's just going in, and boom, let the seeds fall where they may. Let them go. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So Jesus doesn't pull punches. He says in the parable right away, but while everyone was sleeping, his what? His enemy. His enemy. There's an enemy in this story. He came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? He answers in 28 again, in case you missed it earlier. An enemy did this. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Are you a yard person? Kind of persnickety about your lawn, are you? You know? You know you're a yard person if you've actually had the thought, that the guys who asked the landowner had, where did these weeds come from? You're out there in your yard, you're either cutting the grass, or you're working in your garden, or you're trimming hedges, or whatever it is you're doing out there in God's creation, and you look down and you go, how'd those get here? And then you actually, for a split second, <laughs> you think, I wonder if my neighbor put those in there. But the servant said, so didn't you sow good seed? How'd they get there? And the landowner goes, the enemy did it. Okay, well, they have a good follow-up question. End of 28, we read, do you want us to go and pull them up? He says, what? In 29, what's his answer? Everybody? No, he says, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barns. End of story. This is a parable using wheat and weeds. Jesus told simple parables. He didn't want to confuse us. He didn't want to have us go, wait, what? But still, isn't it nice to have something explained? Someone explain this. Is that the end? Is that it? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean for my life? Well, we're lucky 
Jesus doesn't always do this in Scripture, but he does it a few times. He's explained this parable to us a few verses later. So join me further down in your Bibles now in verse 36 and following. We get the actual explanation piece by piece from Jesus about what this parable meant. And here we go. He leaves the crowd. His disciples say in the end of 36, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answers, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So the farmer in the story is Jesus. The field is the world. The field is the, everybody, the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. So the, the, the good seed, the wheat are God's people. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The weeds are bad people. And the enemy who sows them is the, everyone, the devil. That's the enemy. The, the enemy's been named. The harvest is the end of the age, which means the end times, when God's plan for creation is, is complete, when Jesus comes back. And the harvesters are the who? The angels. Quick summary. Farmers, Jesus. Fields, the world. The wheat are the people of God. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And by the way, the enemy is the evil one. And the harvest is the end times. And the harvesters are God's angels. Now we have the the names and what everything represents. And then he says in 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. He says, the son of man, speaking of himself, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Pause. In the, in the book of Revelation, dealing with the end times, we read the Lord will be with his people at the end times in God's, in God's heaven. There will be no more weeping, no more mourning, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. It is a time where God will be with his people and, and God's plan for creation, which was intended good, will now be made complete again and reconciled in the end times. Verse 42. They're going to grab all that evil up and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a phrase we've heard before. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, after we got the explanation of who all the players were, now we know what happens. The end times are coming, a harvest is coming. The people of the evil one will be outside of the kingdom, the people of God will be brought into the barns. Hmm. What does that mean for you and me? I think there's at least three things we can think about today as we think about this parable. And the first one's this there's always an evil power in the world. There's always an evil, there's always evil in the world, and in this parable, it's the weeds, and when I think about the weeds, I think that when Jesus first told the parable, he's talking about cilantro. That's what I think. Do you know a recent study just came out that 15% of us in the world have a gene that makes us hate cilantro? It's been an actual study. It makes it, it, cilantro is soapy. There's a gene in us that makes it taste like soap, and everything it's in, it ruins it. It's a vile weed. How many of you like cilantro? That's 85% of you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
right. It's disgusting. We should start a campaign. No more cilantro. I think in the original Greek, Jesus said cilantro. I think that's what was here in the text. Okay, all kidding aside, though, back to this very serious reality. There is always an evil power in the world. Watch the news for 10 minutes and tell me that's not true. Think about the evil you've tripped over in your life. The event or the the person that inflicted it. And Jesus names him. He names him. He says, the enemy is the devil. And sometimes people say, oh, Pastor Tim, you're going to talk about the devil sometimes. And, you know, it's a little, don't think that's a little outdated. I mean, the devil, I mean, really... We're not talking about the, the Halloween image of the, of the tail and the pitchfork. We're talking about a real force of evil that is named and claimed in Scripture. And when the believer doesn't acknowledge that, when the believer doesn't acknowledge what's being pointed out in this parable, then we can't do battle. We can't be aware of the, of the evil one and his tactics. We can't be aware that there is an evil presence. And, and, and we can be a little bit more understanding about that which is around us in, in the world we live in. There's wheat and there's weeds. There's good and there's evil. And we're being called to be wheat. We're being called to be good. And, and there's, this, there's this thinking where it's, it's impossible to fight an enemy you don't believe is there. That's just shadow boxing. You're just, you, you don't even think they're there. You're just, oh, whatever. But to then say, wait a minute. Jesus is claiming a force of evil and calling him the devil. And there is this, this personal force of evil in the world I better be serious about that. I better be aware of that. I better know that the devil's schemes are trying to pull me away from a God who created me. I better know that he's, he's whispering in my ear and he's tempting me and he's trying to do things to me. Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was a Catholic monk, he was in his quarters in the monastery. He picked up an inkwell and he was yelling and threw it at the evil one in his, in his room. Had that incredible understanding of the reality of the evil one. In the original Greek of the Lord's Prayer, we say, deliver us from evil. Actually, the Greek is the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one, Jesus teaches us to pray. So if Jesus claims his reality, we as believers need to do that too, and we need to be aware that there's wheat and there's weeds, and there's a sower and there's an enemy. And it's good to know. Uh, Paul writes this in... uh, 1 Corinthians, he tells us and encourages us today, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. There's a spiritual battle. People say, again, back to the thing about, oh, Pastor Tim, you know, isn't that a little supernatural to be talking about the devil sometimes? And isn't that a little out there? Here's, here's the biblical truth. God is supernatural. Is God not? And God is good? And Jesus claims there's a devil and a personal force of evil, and the devil's not good? And the devil is supernatural as well. And there's this battle going on for our souls, for our lives. And it's good to know that. And Paul encourages that. The second thing we can take away, other than the first thing, there's always an evil power in the world, is number two. Only God gets to judge. Say that with me. Only God gets to judge. How'd that feel? Because we're judgy, aren't we? We judge a lot. In a small rural community on Main Street, there was a a row of homes, nice big backyards, 
Um, lots of room to hang the laundry out. The, the couple that had been living in town for years, sitting at the kitchen table, the new younger family moving in Saturday morning, hanging up the laundry. The, the longtime uh, woman in her ho- home, empty nesters, with her husband looks out the window and goes, oh my goodness, their laundry looks horrible. They must not have a good washer. Next Saturday, same routine. She looks up from the kitchen table. He's reading the paper. She goes, honey, their laundry looks terrible. They must not use the right laundry soap, or they don't even know what to, how to do it. Maybe I should say something. Next week, same routine. Husband sitting at the table with the paper. Look, she looks out. That laundry, just I can't stand it anymore. It looks horrible. What, are we, what should we do? They don't know what they're doing. Next week, oh, my goodness. Their laundry looks great. They must have got a new washer or, or they're using new soap. And he said, he looks up from his paper and he goes, no, I got up early, honey, and I washed our windows. We're so quick to judge when we really are the problem, when it's our perspective that's wrong. God is judged we are only the wheat. The harvesters, the, the servants came in the parable and said, hey, you want us to go take care of the weeds? And God goes, no, I got it. That's my job. You're not to judge. It's not your job to handle the, 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 the people of, of the evil one. I'll take care of them. I, so I, got that, I got that covered in my plan for eternity. I got it covered. I, I'll take care of that. I'm going to send out my harvesters. My angels will take care of that. It's not your job. You're not God. I'm God. And I like to do this once in a while in worship, but it's kind of fun. So turn to your neighbor right now with some, a little bit of effort and go, you ain't God, baby. Go ahead and say that to someone right now. You ain't God, baby. You ain't God, baby. Doesn't that feel good? Because the reality is you're not, and neither am I, and we don't get to play judge. We don't get to say who's going to heaven or not. We don't get to say who's a good person or not. We don't get to judge someone because of the color of their skin or because of their economic background or because of their political slant. We don't get that privilege. We don't get to judge. That's not our calling. Our calling is to be wheat in the world. Our calling is to be light in the darkness. Our calling is to be God's hands and his feet in a world that needs the gospel now more than ever. We're not to be judged. And as we're thinking about the fact that we do it all the time, because we do, we wrestle with that, we go through our lives, we walk into the store, we see someone different from us, we see someone, we, don't, we know someone in our life who's not a believer, or we, we encounter something at work, and we're, and we're so quick to judge. And as we think about wrestling with that, here's what the psalmist says to God in a prayer. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That second line, see if there's any offensive way in me. One of the great translations of the Hebrew is point out, point out in me anything, God, you find offensive. Weed that out. Weed that out. In me. We're not judge. God is judge. And we in this prayer we ask God to not have us judge others, but God judge me. And when you judge me, where you find sinfulness in my heart. Lord, take care of that, please. Take that out. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Let's wrap up with the third thing we can think about for today. The first one is there's always an evil power in the world. Two, only God gets to judge. Three, God's judgment is coming. 
Now, this is a takeaway that is going to do one of a couple things. You're going to go, oh, no. This judgment's coming. Will I be ready? Will I be worthy? Have I done enough good stuff? The other side of that coin is, in this reality, is the judgment's coming. Is Oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in that moment, but I'm ready. I'm ready because I, I know what I believe. I'm ready because I'm, I'm a person of faith. God's judgment is coming. And uh, it's important to think about that um, because here's, here's the reality of the parable. There's a harvest. And the question is, am I wheat or am I a weed? How does God see me? Because if I look in the mirror myself, I know I struggle with sin and brokenness in my life, as we all do, but I also know I have faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So what is going on then? I mean, if God's judgment's coming for me personally, I don't get to have you there with me. I don't get to have Kathy there with me. It's just going to be me and God, and in that moment, what, what, what's going to go down there? Well, the reality is, this parable is a story of grace. Because in this story, if we are wrestling with our sin and our brokenness, and whether we're wheat or weed in the world we live in, the believer turns nowhere else in that moment than to the cross of Jesus. Turns to the cross of Jesus and looks up at that cross and says, I am a sinner, I am broken, but I believe you sent your son for me. I believe Jesus is my savior. I believe that even in my brokenness and my sinful nature, you love me and wash me daily and forgive me daily, and I live in your story of grace. It's not so much am I weak or weed, it's am I a believer? And if I'm a believer, then I am a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, then I am wheat. Not because of my own doing, but because God planted me and is growing me and is grooming me as his child and as someone whose job is to just be wheat in the world. And to love those around me, to love the unlovable, to, to be Christ to the best of our ability in the world as God's child. This is a story of grace when we come to the cross and we say, without the cross, I am the mother weed. <laughs> I am the biggest weed in the field. But with the cross, we humbly say, search my heart, God. If you find any offense in me, weed that out. I kneel at your cross, and I receive your grace, and I live in your love. Thanks be to God. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for the parables of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the way they challenge us, make us think. Think about your heart, your, your will, your kingdom. Lord, uh, 
we ask that by your Holy Spirit's power you would stir faith in us to remind us that we are not judged, but we are to be open to your judgment, which drives us to a cross where we find your grace. Thank you for that gift of life. In Jesus' name we pray and we all sit together. Amen.